I'm so glad you I didn't go to Stacks. Yes. Ron. It is? All right, give it to Joey. <laughs> All right. Well, let's go ahead and t- let's go ahead and turn in our Bibles to the Gospel of John, uh, chapter thirteen. John chapter thirteen. Let me find that thing real quick. And uh, we're picking up our story in uh, verse 18. That's where we left off. John 13, verse 18. Jesus speaking here. He says, I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen. But the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table close to Jesus. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, do quickly. Now, no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. Let's pray one more time. Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, um, <laughs> uh, years ago, I, I, you know, I own a bunch of uh, domain names. Did you know that? I, I own a, a bunch of a series of domain names. And one of the domain names that I, I uh, owned and have gotten rid of uh, what is uh, canigetanewfork.com. And I, I was, my idea was to come up with something like the Gothamist or Yelp, like early on in the in internet days and restaurant scene and all that stuff. I, I thought, hey, can I get a new fork would be a really cool thing. You could duplicate it in every city. And, and uh, basically, it's just like restaurant reviews, all right? So, but I thought, can I get a new fork was a cool name. Because you've all dropped your fork in a restaurant, haven't you? And uh, when you drop your fork in a restaurant, uh, you have a decision to make. Am I going to pick that nasty thing up and stick it in my mouth? Or... Am I going to say, can I get a new fork, please? Well, it forces you to a hard decision. And uh, the Bible, uh, and in Jesus, in fact, here, forces you to a hard decision. Will I or won't I accept what Jesus says about himself? In fact, it forces you to uh, an even greater decision. Do I or do I not accept God's word as God's word and words? You do or you don't, because that's where we find out about Jesus. We don't find out about Jesus just from plucking random thoughts out of the fairy dust. We find out specifically about this Jesus, about the God of the universe, through his revealed word, the Holy Spirit of God applies that truth to our hearts, teaches our souls uh, who this God is, what duty is required of man, and 
uh, the rescue that is provided for us um, in Jesus Christ. And so um, the Bible forces us to a hard decision. Now, as you've heard me say many times, if you package up Jesus and you kind of keep him in this uh, little spot in your life in the category of like Zeus and Pegasus and uh, Sasquatch and sea monkeys and stuff like that, if you just kind of keep Jesus in this little like, you know, kind of pseudo weirdo faith-based bookshelf, uh, you can manage Jesus. Uh, but if you hear the truth, but for instance, it says in Romans uh, 3.17, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So if you've, if you've heard me, if you heard me, if you heard me read the passage today, particularly, um, you know, verse 20, uh, 19 and 20, uh, when Jesus says, I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he, that I am he is, I am the Messiah. I am the Christ. He wants his disciples to remember after he's been crucified. Oh, that's right. He is the Christ. I see what he's doing in verse 20. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send, that is whoever Jesus sends out with the gospel message and proclaims it. Um, and whoever receives me, Jesus, receives the one who sent me, who is the Father. Uh, you've heard the gospel, and you've just been forced to a hard decision. You've been confronted with the decision. Uh, is Jesus a real Savior or not? Hardly anyone uh, ever hears the name Judas, moving into our passage here, without thinking of betrayal. Um, in fact, can you imagine, have you ever known, known anybody to name their kid Judas? I don't, rem I don't know anybody named Judas. Um, when you hear the name Judas, you think betrayal. Uh, it's very potent. And the passage here today presents um, a dichotomy. <clears throat> All right, and here's a dichotomy. Every man ends up in one of two situations. <clears throat> Faithfulness to or betrayal of Jesus. Right? He forces you to a hard decision. You either put your faith in him and say, okay, I will yield to this Savior. Uh, I understand it is God's provision. I understand it is the one way to the Father, the man Jesus Christ. Or you don't just reject him. You betray him. Um, you, you put him away. Uh, it's, a, it's a very hard line. It's like dropping your fork on, in a on a dirty restaurant floor going, will I or won't that put that in my mouth? Uh, you're forced to a hard decision. Well, um, last uh, week, Max uh, uh, Schlesinger uh, was in here on a Wednesday night. Anybody here, Max? Good, did a good job, right? Yay, good for Max. Well, I was back in junior high teaching in his place. He was in here. I was back there teaching in junior high. And um, I called to their attention Psalm 1 at one point. You know, Psalm 1 uh, describes two kinds of people, those who scoff at God's law. You know, they scoff at it. And then they stop and they bask in it and then they want to drag others into it. Okay, that's one kind of person. Or the other kind of person is that man or woman who loves God's law, who delights in it, who wants God's correction. You love God's law, you love God, you love his people. Two kinds of, two kinds of people, that kind. Or you don't love God's law, you don't love him, and you think his people are nuts. All right, so we pick up the storyline uh, in this lingering glow of Jesus humbly serving uh, the disciples by washing their feet. And in the same time, at the same time, it's there are looming clouds of the cross coming up. It's night. This is the last night of Jesus' life. He will leave here and go to the Garden of Gethsemane in, uh, in uh, uh, chapter 18. And uh, shortly thereafter, he'll be arrested and he will be crucified the next day. Um, well, the biblical contrast is, again, vividly portrayed 
in this story. And uh, let's look at it together, this, uh, this issue with Judas. First point is the Bible tells me so. Uh, verse 18, uh, Jesus says, I'm not speaking of all of you. Um, now, obviously, we, we know that uh, Jesus is uh, referring to Judas here. He says, I'm not speaking to all of you. He's excluding Judas in his mind. Um, uh, what is the criteria? Why only Judas? Well, you know, in verse 14, look at verse 14. It says, if I then, Jesus speaking here, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Uh, the, the, the difference is, uh, is he Lord and teacher or no? That's uh, all, of, all we need, really need to know about the reasoning. Uh, some under, understand and accept Jesus to be Lord and teacher, and uh, Jesus himself knows that he is teacher and Lord, uh, and others don't. Uh, look at verse 10. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not every one of you. And Jesus knows Judas is about to betray him. It's not a secret to Jesus' soul. Um, uh, if you want to flip back just a couple pages to chapter 6, look at chapter 6, <coughs> verse um, 65. <coughs> Uh, chapter 6, verse 65, and Jesus said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. Well, that's a pretty strong statement. That may rumble your own heart. Um, no one can come to me, Jesus, unless it is granted him, gifted him, the ability given to him or her by the Father. Well, that's a hard saying, isn't it? Well, look what happens in verse 66. After this, Many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Wow. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Well, that's awesome. Is, not, is that not that? I mean, that is a proclamation of who Jesus is. But it goes on. It says, uh, P Peter saying, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. In verse 70, Jesus answered, did I not choose you? In other words, the 12. Did I not choose you, 12 people? And yet one of you was a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the 12, was going to betray him. So no shock news to Jesus over this. He knows all about it. Um, quick, quick application for your life is, is the gospel. <coughs> I mean, um, these people are in close proximity to Jesus. Judas heard everything everybody else heard. Uh, Judas saw Jesus live his life just as everybody did. Judas had the money back. He was the treasurer. So much so that the disciples thought when Jesus handed him a morsel, and he was saying, hey, why don't you go out and uh, you know, give some money to the poor or whatever. It was a regular occurrence. He was the treasurer. He was the guy that handled their money. And yet, he didn't believe. He didn't see Jesus as Lord and teacher. And it was all formative for the disciples, but, I mean, he was excluded. Now, in our passage here, in verse 18, <coughs> it says, um, I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen. He's, he's not talking about election. He's talking about the 12 disciples. I know who you guys are. I'm the one who picked all 12 of you. And yet, he knows that um, uh, Judas has, is going to betray him. Um, and he says, in verse 18, He's, it, it, I know who I'm, I've chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. 
Now the question is, what is he referring to? What, what scripture is he referring to? Well, it's Psalm 41.9. Listen to it. Even my close friend, in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, have lifted his heel against me. You see that Jesus is doing this action on purpose. When John, you know, when they, they ate, they sat on the floor and they leaned up against each other. And they, they, that was a that's why foot washing was so important. They, they sat on the floor. It was a low table. It's not like the painting at all. They weren't sitting at a table like that. But John's leaning against Jesus. Jesus, Jesus is leaning against John. Peter's like, hey, ask, ask the boss, uh, you know, who he's talking to. And John leans over going, hey, Jesus, um, who, who is it? And Jesus says, uh, the one I, when I dip the morsel and give it to you, that, that's who it's going to be. The other disciples don't, uh, don't hear that. And it's obviously don't, they don't hear it because it says in verse uh, 28, no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought he was he's saying, go buy this and that. All right, so he's, he's saying it to John. Maybe John told Peter. I don't know because Peter inquired, it says. But uh, at least John knows. John and maybe Peter, but probably just John. He's the only one who knows. Now, um, <coughs> um, for our own purpose purposes here today, the, the Bible gives us multiple angles of this story. You know, you know what a harmony of the Gospels is? You've probably heard me talk about that before. You know what a harmony of the Gospels is? Uh, it is, I have uh, two, uh, maybe more, but I've got two, two harmonies of the Gospel on my bookshelf in there. And um, it basically takes Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and for instance, the, the calming of the storm. All right, well, you've got an account from each uh, book of the Bible in there next to each other. And you can kind of look at it and go, okay, that's interesting. Uh, this writer includes this, but he doesn't include this. This writer includes this. This writer includes this. And it'll take um, scenes that, uh, that show up in more than one book of the Bible and put them side by side. And it's a harmony of the Gospels. It's very interesting to look at it. It, it benefits your study greatly. What you've got to be careful of is uh, getting in the habit of saying, okay, well, we're going to teach on such and such. And uh, you, you then you uh, take uh, all the Gospels and you mush them all together into a super Gospel. And you preach that. If you preach a super gospel, uh, then you miss the perspective of each writer, which is in there by the Holy Ghost's decision. Uh, and you don't want to do that. You got to be real careful not to. It, so it's good to use a harmony of the gospels, but you can't mush them all together and preach a, a hybrid gospel. Uh, you can't do that. That said, uh, it is helpful, especially in this particular particular story, to gain some information. The Bible does invite us to look at its whole self. It validates itself by its whole self. So uh, it, it's, it behooves us. That's a lot, lot of talking to say. Please turn to Matthew 26. So in Matthew 26, we see, um, if you had a harmony of the Gospels, you would see this show up next to uh, that in John in our passage today. So Matthew 26, verse um, 20 and keep your finger in there because we're going to have to come back this, to this for the next point. So Matthew 26, verse 20, it says, When it was evening, uh, Jesus reclined at table with the twelve. And as they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful. And began to say to him, one after another, Is it I, Lord? He answered, He who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? He said to him, You have said so. 
Now, do you see how closely that aligns with our passage in John? And you see that uh, one writer writes with one perspective, uh, having seen and heard things, and another writer writes with another perspective. Um, but you can see how deliberate Jesus is with his actions. In verse 18, uh, he dips the morsel, he gives it to Judas. He's doing this in response to John's question. Um, and so now we understand how truly uh, in the dark uh, the disciples were about uh, all of it. Um, and Jesus says in verse 19, I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you're going to look back on it, and the Holy Spirit is going to make you uh, remember and understand uh, and believe in me. All right. So, folks, um, application for your life. Uh, you don't have to turn, but back in um, chapter 2, uh, it says this. When Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many people believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing, miracles. But Jesus, on his part, listen, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. And he needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. All right, so people are putting their trust in Jesus. And Jesus is not putting his trust in people. <laughs> um, he, he's not surprised. He's not, uh, he's not uh, going, ooh, I didn't realize they were so bad down here at all. Rather, it says, he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man for he himself knew what was in man. Let me tell you something. Um, you know, when you go into ministry, uh, ask anybody. Nothing surprises. Nothing. I haven't heard a single story, a, a single thing, a single sin, a single scenario. Um, the worst thing that you could possibly imagine that a person could do that they confess. Nothing is <gasps> shocking. Nothing. Ask an elder. Nothing is shocking. But you know what? Think about you. You've been on this planet a while. Are you a redeemed person? Do you observe some things? Is anything shocking? I'm shocked. Shocked that the person would believe this or say this or report this and this is on the news and this thing would happen. I'm shocked. Are you shocked? There is no, there is no depth to which a sinner would not sink if God removed his restraining hand. No depth. You'd all be whores and robbers and murderers and thieves, all of us. There is no depth to which we would not sink if God, didn't re if God removed his restraining hand. But Jesus does not entrust himself to people. He knows the heart of man. He knows what's in your heart. He knows all of it. That's convicting, isn't it? That God knows all of it. No surprises. He sees everything, all the secret things. He knows the guilt that you feel as well th as the guilt that you're supposed to feel, but you're too blind to feel it. Jesus knows all of that. And, um, you know, except for John, uh, none of the disciples knew all this stuff. But you do. You know this stuff. Now, here's the question. Every man or woman ends up in one of two situations. Faithfulness to or betrayal of Jesus. What do you do with this Christ? Where are you, I ask? All right, next point. Now, that's a good question. Uh, verse 21. Um, after saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit. We've seen that before in him. And he testified. Truly, truly, I say to you, you one of you will uh, betray me. 
Now, again, we know from this account and Matthew's account that the disciples suspected none of this. They had no idea who, uh, who it was, and, uh, uh, and indeed, they were questioning their own selves. Uh, flip back to Matthew, if you would, where we were. Um, in Matthew 26, um, verse 20, this evening he reclines at the table. They're eating. Truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And look at verse 22. And they were very sorrowful. And began to say to him, one after another, is it I, Lord? Am I the one who's going to betray you? One after another. Um, I, I think that we're supposed to read that and say that was all of them, questioning all of it. Um, you know, back in our passage, verse uh, 28, uh, no one at the table knew uh, why he said this and, and so on. Uh, they're all questioning, is it me, is it me, is it me, is it me? Well, I, I think that's a good question. When Jesus says, um, after s in verse 21, after saying these things, he was troubled in spirit and he testified. Isn't that an interesting word, that he testified? Um, let's take it down to the bare bones. Let, let's, uh, let's draw a, a hard line. When Jesus testified, there's an interesting word that is used there. Can I show it to you? Here's the word that was used. And you go, okay, that's some Greek word transliterated, and, uh, you know, some, what, is it, what does it mean? But can I keep, keep your eyes on it. Can I show you something? Ah, so that puts a little bit of oomph into it, right? Um, when somebody is martyred, they come to the end of their belief system, don't they? I mean, it's the result of saying, here's the hard line. It is Christ for me. And I don't care what you do to me, but I am, uh, I am with my Savior. Well, when you do that, it's a hard line drawn. And uh, that's the word that is used here when it says that Jesus was troubled in the spirit and that he testified. Will you or won't you use the fork that fell on the ground? Will you or won't you come to that hard line of decision, the hardest line of decision that can be? Uh, when Jesus testifies, you know, um, one writer was saying um, that this is the, the public witness of bearing Jesus. Um, and let's apply this to your life. Look at my sermon point again. It says, now that's a good question. Um, now, in Philippians 1, 6, uh, you'll, you, you know and love these verses. I am certain that God, who began the good work in you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. That's good news. We can be confident in that, y'all. We can rejoice in that for sure. We can rest in God's saving work. We can be sure of it. We can be sure of it. You know, the same uh, gospel writer in uh, his first uh, pastoral epistle says these things, uh, uh, I write these things to you so that you may know that you have eternal life. You can know it, all right? Um, in chapter 10, don't turn, I'm already there. Chapter 10, verse 27, um, it says this, Jesus speaking, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. Those are promises that are anchored in the bedrock of God's own person. And it, were he to break those promises, he wouldn't be God anymore because he would be untrue to his own character. He cannot break a promise that he's made. Well, um, let me turn to this real quick. Um, w one writer I was reading uh, had, a really had a really good quote here. He says this. 
This is the proper attitude. He's talking about the disciples going, is it I, Lord? Is it I, Lord? Is it I, Lord? Well, on the one hand, we're safe, 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 safe. The, God, the work that God started, he will surely complete. But this writer says that, that it, there's a good posture of heart here. It's the proper attitude that every Christian should take whenever, uh, whenever turmoil or trials arise in the church. By our worldly nature, we are prone to focus our attention on what others will do, how others will handle themselves, Lord, and so on. Um, it's funny, too. I, I think this writer had a problem in his church, and he was kind of misusing his pulpit experience a little bit, and it's in his book. Uh, he says this, um, uh, before we ask who the troublemakers are, who are spoiling it for everyone, I think he's scolding his congregation. Uh, instead, our focus ought to be on ourselves and our own spiritual attitude. Lord, might I be the one who will hinder your work? Is my attitude improper? Is my devotion to you compromised? Is my focus on the wrong things? Um, like I say, I think that he, I, I thought this was comical when I read this, and I didn't present it to you very well, but uh, I thought it was funny. But, um, but the point is good. Um, we ought to first go, is it, is it me, Lord? Is it me, Lord? And if you want a, like a really vivid application, the next time you have a conflict with your spouse, Rather than dig your heels in and go, yeah, I win this one, and she was wrong about that, and I got this point and that point, why don't you just take a step back and go, is there something, Lord, that I should say I'm sorry for in this whole scenario? Like the way I rolled my eyes or the tone that I had or the disinterest that I had or letting my temper get away from me, just even a smidge. I mean, there's always something to confess uh, that shows up in all your human relationships um, and concerning this God just remember uh, we are safe in the Lord Jesus Christ but it is a healthy thing to continue to ask Lord am I yielding to you and yielding alone all right our last point um, and it was that it's dark or night I get did I put that in there right um, Night. Okay, what was dark to? Uh, <laughs> it says night in my notes. I put the wrong thing up there. But but you can see that the last four words of this passage are pretty are pretty strong. And it was night. Um, so out Judas goes. Um, he uh, he immediately goes out and does what he's going to do. Jesus is not uh, scoldy to him. In fact, it's kind of it's kind of uh, heart wrenchingly. Uh, touching i mean jesus dips a morsel and feeds it i mean that that, that was it was very very social different way of 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 uh eating and and conversing than than here today but um out judas goes and it's night now it says that uh, as soon as jesus gives him that morsel that satan entered into him and um and uh, we don't need to like spookify that thing we don't need to write a frank peretti novel about that and uh, uh how just satan just basically um there there's no more resistance you know what one writer said this satan entered into him it's probably an indication of satan's full possession of judas uh, unresisting soul he had an unresisting soul and uh now he was headlong and jesus uh, uh let him go it was a complete rejection of jesus and jesus knew it and jesus said Go do what you have to do. And that, again, brings us to our main idea. What do you do with this Christ? You end up in one of two situations, faithfulness or betrayal. There's no middle ground. There's no managing Jesus and keeping him on the bookshelf with Zeus. 
All right, application for your life. Um, it was night. You know, early on in the gospel, in chapter 1, verse 5, it says, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. To close, in Matthew 17, it says this, As they were entering Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. Isn't that interesting? So Jesus is coming in. In Matthew's account, uh, the cross is looming, and he says, hey, <coughs> the Son of Man, that's me, Jesus, that's his favorite self-designation, I'm about to be delivered into the hands of men. Now, if you look that up in a whole bunch of Bible translations, about half of them will say delivered into the hands of men, delivered. Um, some will put it this way, um, Jesus will be handed over, right? But there's a whole bunch of other Bible translations that, that, that uh, translate that delivered into the hands of men, handed over into the of hands of men, as this, betrayed into the hands of men. Betrayed. Turned over. Delivered. Um, likewise, in, um, in uh, Matthew 20, verse 18, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered, delivered up, handed over, betrayed to the chief priests and scribes. Uh, they're going to condemn him to death, deliver him again, Betray him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he'll be raised on the third day. The meaning is that he'll be handed over in betrayal. And uh, there's no in-between when it comes to this Jesus and your belief in him or your rejection of him. It's not just a rejection of an idea. It's not just something. Then you go, well, I'm not so. Mm -mm -mm. You are. It's as if you're handing him over to be crucified. <laughs> it's as if you're rejecting him um, uh, full out. You can't tuck him away in some, in some sweetie pie, gobbledygook little uh, batch of stories or world religions and all of their colorful garb and all that stuff. You either receive him as Lord or you reject him in betrayal. Uh, what you do with Jesus uh, is very much like dropping that fork on the ground. You've got to make a hard decision. Let's pray. Father, we bow before you and we remember that um, we do that <coughs> because you have not taken your restraining hand of grace off of us. Rather, you have given us the gift of grace, the gift of faith, the gift of a Savior, the gift of eternal life, the gift of the perseverance of the saints that will take us home to that great day when we see the Lord Jesus in his glory. Until then, Lord, we pray that you'll help us live within the strange tension of the already and the not yet. Christ has come. He will come again. And in that that, that period in which we live, Lord, here on this earth, we pray that you would draw us into sweeter fellowship with Jesus and uh, greater conformity to him, for we pray it in his name. Amen. Thanks, y'all. Appreciate you.